welcome to Board Game Binge. The place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're welcoming back Tanner Yarrow from Yarrow Studios. Tanner's most recent innovation is an affordable folding game table, which is currently on Kickstarter. Tanner, welcome to the binge. How are you doing, sir? Dude, I love that. I think this is my third time on your show, and I would love to go back and watch the other episodes because I feel like the energy coming off of you has just exponentially increased with every episode. Oh, I just got to keep getting that curve going straight up. Absolutely. Uh, Buddy, it is great to have you back. Uh, I know we touch base from time to time. I actually want to start off by thanking you uh, on my most recent campaign for Cities of Venus. Uh, on launch day, you were uh, you were messaging me, and then all the way through to the the last day, uh, you still reached out to me and you're giving me advice. And it's like, you know, hey, did you did you send out the text message again? Did you send it a reminder? It's kind of like when the guy's hovering over the body, it's like hit him again, you know, with the paddles. And I'm like, all right. So I kept uh, sending out the the notifications, and it, it paid out in spades. So your 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 advice was uh, very uh, very welcome, and I want to thank you again for that. That was very very kind of you to be uh, help me out there um, with your campaign. I know we just finished off Flip Die. Before we get into your game fold. For those who don't know you, uh, this is, again, as you said, your third time back. I'll put in the show notes links to the other episodes we had prior to this, so we won't go too deep into the past, uh, but maybe you can give people just a quick overview of Flip Die before we move on to uh, Gamefold. Yeah, I'm not sure when we um, talked about Flip Die. Were, were, were we mid-campaign? Last October. Had the campaign ended, or was it kind of during it? No, we were mid-campaign, yeah. Yeah, so we we finished at nearly $2 million, and it's honestly one of the biggest regrets in my life because I went to bed and I just underestimated the community. I think I sent an update right before I went to bed and, and one more stretch goal or something and woke up like three grand short. And if I would have just stayed awake and and promoted and pushed, I wouldn't have to tell people that we nearly hit $2 million. <laughs> My wife is like, just tell people you hit $2 million. And I'm like, no, they're, they can go and check. And it's yeah. not. Doesn't count. Yeah. That's a kicker. It's, it's this weird kind of psychological thing. I think with, with campaigns where obviously if you're like 2000 shy of $2 million, that is still a success. Just as much a success if you hit the 2 million, but it's kind of that psychological piece being able to say we hit 2 million bucks. Right. And I've seen that in prior campaigns as well, where you're just, you're trying to hit a certain threshold and people are like, well, you've already, you've already funded, like you're already doing well. It's like, yes, I know, but I want to be able to hit that little marker. Right. It's almost like a badge of honor. So, so flip die. So nearly $2 million, uh, which is, I mean, man, that is, that's insane. Has that shipped yet? The flip die? Yeah, we, we ended up minting. Um, almost 200,000 individual coins. And we are probably, I think we have about 10,000-ish orders left to fulfill. Wow. Um, and we, you know, it's kind of funny. We The way that we decided to fulfill this campaign was kind of an experiment from our end. We used a 3PL in China. And a 3PL is, you know, 
I'm going to sound dumb to the community that like really knows what I'm talking about. Cause I only vaguely know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a fulfillment conglomerate. They pick up the coins from the warehouse and, and ship it out. Yeah. So we ship direct from China. So as, as product was coming off the line, it was going out. And because we did that, we were able to air freight the units. And so in hindsight, not in hindsight, in regular sight, it was this awesome idea of like, we could either have every single backer wait, you know, for the boat and the boat can take two months and load in our warehouse, then we pick and pack. Or as soon as the first thousand coin sets are off the line, let's ship them out. So people have been getting their stuff since almost two months ago. Yeah. And as stuff comes out, but in hindsight, there's a lot of people that are frustrated that they don't have it yet. And I want to just kind of shake them and be like, if we did it on the boat, nobody would have it yet. But there is some psychology that goes on with it. And I don't, I don't know still if it was the best idea. Certainly the cheapest idea. I would say, right? So for people who don't know, so 3PL stands for third-party logistics, right? So that's what that acronym means. And there is this, especially for low weight, right? So if you're doing small items, small boxes, card games, things like that, shipping straight from China to the backer is going to be way more cost-effective than loading it all up on a boat, shipping it across the ocean, Unloading the boat at a port, doing getting it to your your distribution center, breaking it, repacking it into a bunch of little boxes, and then reshipping it out is way less efficient than just shipping straight from China. Um, but you're right, you're gonna have this case where you have people that are gonna get their games before other people. And I kind of liken this almost to, um, and this has happened to me now on three of my most recent campaigns where I see the game in my local FLG store. And I still haven't received my copy and I back a campaign. And those are never situations that are great. In your case, though, it's not like you were selling it at retail. I mean, you just have some people are getting it before others, depending on the country and so forth. Yeah, yeah. Right? We we didn't even chase retail with the coins. So you shouldn't see them. If you see them in a comic book shop, it's because that or or FLG, it's because that that owner backed the campaign at a certain yeah. level. Um and and we're going to ship all the Kickstarters first. And so we, I still think, you know, I still think we're trying to do the best that we can with like Kickstarter is going to get it first. Yeah. But yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting experiment. It was cool that some backers were able to get them almost, you know, very quickly. And all the backers are able to get their tracking and have them on their door within 10 days from being out of the factory, which is really cool as well. It doesn't get any faster than that. How did you choose which countries got it first or which backers got it first? That's a great question. And and this is a question that a lot of our community asked. And Mm. I was kind of waiting until we got to, you know, this stage to kind of dive into that. But how it worked was, and, and the community kind of jumped onto this idea that the manufacturer was picking when stuff went out. And I kind of let them roll with that because it was kind of true. But we, we kind of trusted the factory and the 3PL to manage that. And they did it by ease on themselves. And so the factory has to set up the machines and they run some of the coins. And then if they're switching out the coins, they have to switch up all their lines. Mm. And they need to get that on the schedule. 
And so the way that our coins went out was as simple as possible. Whoever backed the first set and just the first set, this set right here, got it first. Yeah. And then they switched the line and they added the dragon set. So they made all of these that they needed to do. And then they then then anybody that ordered this set and the dragon set got those next while they switched the lineup and they added the bronze coins. And so anybody that packaged those three. And so the people at the tail end, and this is where the experiment kind of failed my community, and I'll totally admit that. Yeah. Is the most hardcore loyal fans of mine, the ones that early bird backed that got the most stuff are the ones that are getting it last because it's the hardest part for the factory and the 3PL. So for example, if you're a backer and you got one of each set, you're already towards the back of the line because the factory has to switch out all the machines to run the silver set. If you added on the dice chest, the dice chest took longer. So anybody that didn't get the dice chest that just got this already got it. And then the one that is the most time consuming for both the factory and the 3PL is the single coin orders. Mm. So if you are my, you know, most loyal diehard Yara Studios fan and love the dice coins and you got one of each set and then added in like two or three individual coins, that's unfortunately going to be the last to go out because the 3PL has to change their internal logistics and set up full pick and pack lines for almost 50 SKUs where they're now take before the factory could take this, put it in a box and say, this is what James got and print the label and send that to the 3PL. So they don't need to do any picking and packing or They say James got this one in the dragon set. He got a dice bag and he got one D six in bronze and two D eights in gold. And they have to set up that line to then the box comes down the conveyor belt and they boom, boom, boom. So that's the phase that we're on right now. And that's where I feel the experiment failed the backers because those are the people that should have got it first, right? They're the ones that went all in and supported me fully and completely but, um, you know, the other the other alternative, you know, is kind of dumb and that's nobody Later. has anything yet. And then everybody gets it all at once. So I'm learning as I go. Let me jump into the weeds on this one a little bit, just because I have some recent experience with shipping straight from China. Um, this this 3PL used, did you have, did they pick it right up from the factory and ship from the factory or do they ship to kind of their warehouse location and then kind of bulk ship it out from there. Because that's been my experience with using some of these companies. They insist on bringing it to their facility, do the packaging there, and ship it out from their facility. Yeah, so that ended up being super kismet. And I think I'm using that word right. But the 3PL that we ended up going with was a recommendation from a friend Mm. who had used them before. And when we sent them to the factory, they were like, oh my gosh, they're our neighbors. And so they were in the same province in China and it was just like a 15 minute truck ride. Okay. So it ended up being super perfect, but yeah, I think some orders are factory dropped off and some orders they picked up. Yeah. But yeah, they, they moved them all from the factory, put on pallets at the factory and then sent to the 3PL. My second question on this was, um, 
was there ever an option for them to hold the stock at the factory until it was all ready? Or is it just a space issue? They just couldn't hang on to that much stock. Um, no, they, they're not holding on to anything. Like, like our three PL is on top of it. Our factory couldn't yeah. be more on top of it. And so as, I mean, sometimes they're just sending single pallets, but literally as it's coming off the line, it is assembled and shrink wrapped and it's at the backer's door within 10 days. So that entire process, like you can rip open that plastic and get some fresh (laughs) factory smell. So I guess, cause my question is more along the lines of like, if you were wanting to uh, have the people that backed you the most, right. The ones that are the most loyal supporters that got like the all in package, which is the most complicated and is going to come off the line last. Was there ever an option just to kind of hold everything in China of all the previous stuff and then kind of mass kind of pack and ship at the same time, or is the decision process that, you know what, we have it. So we might as well ship it to the backers now kind of a thing. You know, it's just, it's kind of its own animal. And I say that as somebody who is very non expert in this field, but for me, it was all new. I don't, I don't honestly know of another way to have done it. Because when you get into changing out the lines, both at the factory and the 3PL, and scheduling that far enough in advance, I, I don't know of another way to do it. The, the amount of coins, like I'll, I'll share with you some of these pictures. It, it looks like Scrooge McDuck. Oh, I can imagine. Where they just have these massive vats just filled to the top of individual coins. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you really dive in and think about the, the, the picking and packing at each step of the process, they are there, you know, from the very beginning, they are hand detailing these coins to an extent. There are certain coins in our spread that require a physical touch from an individual, like all Mm -hmm. of our dual molded D twenties. So they're coming off the line. They're coming out of these big, massive press machines, mold machines, and and some coins are getting hand touch-ups. They're they're going into these big robot acrylic filling machines. They're you know a, hand, a person is hand placing a ball inside of them. They're getting quickly hand soldered. They get into a big vat where they go to another station where they're picking out individual coins, setting them beautifully in this box, sealing it. I mean, there's like hundreds of moving parts here, right? Yeah. So I don't. That was where I was just we found a really killer factory and just trusted and just said, okay, you guys got this. So for those who don't know what flip die is, I, I would encourage you to go and check it out on Kickstarter. You can still see the, uh, the old campaign page, which is just a flip die. If you Google it, but essentially it is a, it's a, it's a coin that you flip. And when it lands, there's a little ball that signals a number, almost like you just rolled a die. And it's uh, it's got the same randomness as rolling a die, but you're flipping a coin, which is super cool. And these coins are just these uber premium coins that uh, Tanner created. Uh, they look amazing. And I was impressed with uh, the engineering behind them uh, on that, which doesn't surprise me then leading into your game fold where this is yet another engineering um, you know, project that you've started that uh, you know solves a problem. Right. And so how long have you been working on Gamefold? And and can you give people just kind of a quick overview of what in essence Gamefold is? And then, you know, how how long has this been going for? Yeah, great question. So <clears throat> Gamefold, the name 
existed like three days before the campaign launched. But but we just internally called it the folding gaming table. Yeah. And the folding gaming table actually existed, you know, all the way back to my very first campaign of the folding map book almost five years ago. Wow. And I had done a folding map book for Dungeons and Dragons that used lay flat maps. I had I had just gotten married and the wedding photographer um was trying to upsell us on this photography wedding book that had these lay flat images so every page was like a full spread and laid perfectly flat and I was like no thank you but thank you this is really cool (laughs) so after launching and and the success I had a ton of backers I was like this is my career now what else can we make and sell in this industry and we brainstormed a lot of ideas and one of them was the table And then we started shipping the book. Our books were seven pounds and they were too big for um, one size fits all mailers. Luckily we, we kind of tricked the U S postal service into sending them media mail. Mm. I'm like, these are, this is a map book. It's an Atlas. It's a book. It's for learning. And um, we saved a ton of money there, but uh, it totally freaked me out on, oversized large products that take up a lot of warehouse space and so complete back burners for five years and then we we started putting a lot of the puzzle pieces in place I started growing my team slowly I started uh, engaging with the community a lot more and seeing that you know it was just as much a need five years ago as it was now Mm-hmm. The the map books were the answer to to um, Dwarven Forge. I started playing Dungeons and Dragons. I wanted dungeons and didn't want to drop hundreds of dollars on terrain. And this was kind of the same, you know. It's the obvious next step as you get into board gaming. That okay, now I need a game table. And I am I am lucky enough to be married to an amazing, beautiful woman, and she does not want a game table anywhere in our house. And so that was where the pieces started to come together of how can we, oh, we had this idea once for a folding table. And I feel like our, our puzzle pieces, our team is coming together where we have a lot of the logistics lined up and a lot of the designers and engineers that we trust and love on flip die. And so it just seemed time to bite it off. And I'll be honest, it still scares me, but yeah. Um, I have, we have a lot, we have pretty much everything lined up and and ready to go to deliver this one faster than the coins. I put this in Canadian dollars because it's the only way I can see it. But in Canada, you're almost at $2.2 million on a goal of $68,000. So congrats on that. Uh, You know, when you still have 13 days to go, um, you know, you start quickly looking at thinking, is this going to be a $3 million campaign? Um, The table, what struck me is just, how high quality this looks. You know, I just came back from Essen and there's a whole section that was showing like board game tables. And this could easily be on par with some of the ones I saw that were standard board game tables. And and yours is something you fold up, right? And you can put away or you can take it temporarily to an event or so forth. I'm showing on the screen for people that are watching live. Um, I mean, obviously aesthetics was something that, you know, you put a lot of attention on when when creating this. Is that fair to say? Yeah, the design actually changed a ton. We we started with 
trying to figure out how to just blow mold a table similar to Costco folding tables. Yeah. And we hit a snag on a lot of the functionality as far as adding on shelves and cup holders and dungeon master screens and all of these extras that really make a game table, what a game table is. And when we dove into the engineering on it, a a lot of the side railing, there was no way for us to, I mean, these molds that blow these tables are massive machinery, but at the end of the day, the simplicity of it, it has to be able to pull apart this way with the coins. We were able to do, like an 18 way mold because we have printing on the sides of the coins. Right. And so our mold for the coins pushes from the top and the bottom and like all these micro molds that make it round around the sides. But to do that at this scale, I mean, the only, the literally the latest breakthrough in this technology has been the cyber truck molds by Elon Musk. And that was like, I want to say it was even in the hundreds of millions of dollars for the, for that type of machine. And so I didn't realistically look, look into how Cybertruck was doing it, but Mm -hmm. we hit this snag and, and it just, we started to put some pieces together and, and aesthetically, I think it does look cool, but it is, it is definitely function above, above looks. And, and, and we landed at this really beautiful place of, two pieces of super trusted, durable, existing technologies that we were able to combine through a custom blow mold to take this aluminum rail. And then this world of added benefits just opened up of like, we don't, I don't want to be the freaking Canon printers and HP printer of the world that just reams you on buying their specific ink and using their specific app. And so 40 millimeter rail there's already a million accessories out there for it. Hmm. And so if we could just build this canvas for you to then go take and, and, and build the exact gaming table that you need and then put it in your closet. So your wife doesn't get upset that you spent three grand. on. I don't want to say they're ugly. I wish I had like a big one day. I'll have like a big wooden permanent gaming table yeah. with screens that lift up and down, but yeah, it's cool. I mean, when I when I looked at and obviously I was just showing the screen while you're talking. There's a scene where like you you, you sit on the table to show they can obviously hold weight. Um, the the physical dimensions of it are quite large, right? So it's not like you're um, you know compromising and, and going with this kind of rinky dink little table. Like it's it's a full size table, right? Yet it folds up and still fits in your trunk, which is I mean right away I was going through all these ideas of you know I have a local meetup for instance that I host at a at a local. Um, restaurant and there's all the seating but you're using kind of the tables you know at hand people doing meetups having a couple of these on hand to pull out for you know these uh, these game nuts that they have once a week or once every couple of weeks as you're saying with your wife right you, you you don't have room in your house necessarily to, to take up an entire area but uh something that you can pull out temporarily and then put back away uh is certainly handy for a for a smaller footprint but if you did want to leave it out, you also saw having there like a table topper, right? So you can actually turn this into a table. Yeah, heavily, heavily requested feature. I yeah. and we've talked about this in the past, but I I really do feel like there's there's a formula that I have for running Kickstarters. And at the end of the day, it boils down to you need to trust your community yeah. and you need to honestly engage your community. And I'm not pinpointing any campaign specifically, but I just feel like a lot of time I'm a, I'm an avid Kickstarter backer as well. 
Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of times they throw in stretch goals that are just like, you know, they're pre-planned and, and they were probably going to do them anyways. And I think it's more work to do it how we do it, but it's, here's kind of what we're thinking. Yeah. What do you think? And, and making those adjustments on the fly. And so, you know, we, we have an awesome community and we didn't, we didn't plan on toppers and again until a few weeks before launch and we really dove in with our engineers and figured it out. And, but it all, it all goes back to that. Like I'm, I'm constantly in the comments on the Kickstarter page, talking to people that are, you know, asking where our stretch goals are. And we kind of have some, but I did an update today and I dropped three things that are just quality of life fixes, like adjustable height legs. Yeah that I could have very easily put behind a stretch goal. But to me, it would have just been arbitrary. And I'm like, look, you guys suggested it. It's a great freaking idea that I hadn't thought about. Let me talk to the factory. The factory's like, we can totally do that. It doesn't mess with our cost too much. Totally still within the bounds of doable. And I would rather just say, surprise update, we have adjustable height legs. And it uses some more engineering from our end, but it's a better product overall. And it's not, I'm, we're going to hit 2 million. Why, why put it behind a one, one million eight hundred thousand? I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. It's, it's a weird relationship. I had this on my most recent campaign as well, where I had people in the first kind of 24 hours saying, you know, where's the stretch goals? And, and, and we were up, up front. We said, we're not doing stretch goals. We're going to give you the best possible product we can. And we'll do reveals as we go through the campaign because there's some things we haven't even thought of yet. And if we think of them during the campaign, we're going to reveal them, right? And that was kind of the promise. But you still have a small subsection of people that are on this kind of stretch goal drug, which I'm not entirely certain that it necessarily brings more pledges in, right? Like I'm thinking the logic behind it, that if you see a game that you really are interested in, are you really going to hold off backing it until they hit a certain goal? like or or if they hit a certain goal, or are we still in this this um, kind of environment where now you're going to go and pull in 20 or 30 of your friends to back this campaign because XYZ just unlocked? I don't know. I don't know how much of it's, uh, for lack of a better word, kind of fugazi, right? Like, like you see more and more of these companies that are taking the best product they can make and then stripping out all the good stuff and putting in a stretch goals that they know they're going to give anyways, right? And, you know- yeah. There's yeah. a there's a subset of I think of uh, Kickstarter creators that are saying okay enough of that, let's take the honest route and just try to have a conversation with people and, and give the best product possible. But you still have those backers that that just hammer you, and it's weird. It's weird to me. No, I mean it's it's definitely like there's definitely levels where stretch goals are totally applicable and doable, and we still have some on the page. Yeah. Um, and, and it's fun to be like, hey, invite your friends. I, I just believe that open, clear communication and transparency is far more valuable because, you know, we saw it with FlipDie, for example. Just yeah. use FlipDie as an example. People were sharing the campaign like crazy. And there were some incredible ideas coming from the community. I, I think even acrylic on the numbers to make the numbers pop was a suggestion from the community. And I'll just show the camera real quick what I'm what I'm talking about. It seems like a no-brainer, right? Oh, yeah. 
this acrylic dip, but the original coins, if you go to our TikTok, I think is where you'll see the earliest coins as we were growing this community, wasn't wasn't necessarily a, a part of that plan from the beginning. Yeah. And I didn't want to be in a position where I feel like I know more than the community. Yeah. Right. And be like, no, this is what you want. Here's my plan stretch goals. Mm-hmm. So if you keep the communication very open and very fluid, you have to also balance this trust of like, okay, trust me. But, but with our campaigns under our belt, I, I think we're there to where it's like, what do you want to see? And, and yeah. I would think we're one of the more consistent creators as far as funds raised on Kickstarter. Um, and so it can, be, it can turn some people away and be kind of sketchy that they come into our campaign. We've raised a million bucks. We have this air of like, we know what we're doing. And they get in the comments and see the, the creator, me, in the comments being like, hey, what do you guys want to see with this? Like, what should we do? And I'm surprised that there's not more people like, what do you mean? Haven't you figured this out? Yeah. Because everybody knows that it's like, look, I will figure it out. And that's, that's where it's like, it does, it does need more work, but I want to be the creator that people can like, look at the campaign and be like, I catch the vision and I know, I know he'll nail it with my help. Not me, but like the backers. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, I think you make a good point because I, I think it does come with um, the track record of success, right? And after doing a number of campaigns and consistently delivering, I think you're probably afforded a little more rope, so to speak, to to kind of throw that out there, right? Whereas maybe somebody doing their first campaign saying, hey, we're not sure, we're trying to figure this out may get hammered on something like that where people are saying, well, why are you launching before you're ready? Right. And it's, and I think sometimes too, people kind of go there when it's like, wait a second, we're ready. We're just trying to see how we can make this even better. Right. And those are two different things. Enhancing what you've already created and not being ready in my mind are are different. Right. Totally. And I mean, this is something that we talked about from the very beginning when you were just starting to launch. My advice was exactly that, right. It was just launch and then deliver the best freaking product that you can. Yeah. Even if it's 2000 backers, 500 backers and build that build that community. Yeah. Make sure that they are the ones that are going to go to the comments and say, "Look, I know it seems like he has no idea what he's talking about, but he pulled it off. I trust him." I don't know. I don't I, I hope nobody's watching like if people are coming from FlipDie, they hopefully can see that transparency, but here's yeah. what's crazy the overlap between flip die backers and game table backers is less than 1%. Wow. So, and that blows my mind. Yeah. But it's a totally new market. And so I didn't go into this campaign having that, the trust that I thought I would. And, and luckily, you know, that 1% of flip die backers that were, that have their product or have seen pictures or, or, or trust the process are in the comments, luckily being awesome. One of the good things about running multiple campaigns on Kickstarter too, though, is that history is there. So if somebody wants to click on your name, they can see your past campaigns as well, right? Yeah. I would say the best advice building off of that advice for, for first time Kickstarter creators is make the product as best blow their minds, like do things that you didn't even tell them you were going to do so that when they get the product, it exceeds their expectations. Yeah. 
And then the second most important thing is you need to have dedicated customer service. That's the first thing you hire or employ. We just got, we had our game table reviewed by another YouTuber and, and it was an, an unpaid thing. I didn't even know they were doing it until the day of. And I was totally freaking out. Like I watched some of his other videos and he just tears into campaigns and he went, he clicked on my name. He went to my first campaign. He went to the comments yeah. and he's like, let's see how active they are. And the last comment on that page was six months ago. And literally within the hour, our customer service guy named Randolph had responded. And he was like, this is incredible. This campaign is five years old. They are in here responding within the hour. And so it just totally took like his review like started on a really high note. But yeah, I just think like at the end of the day, it's not some formula where you're tricking people into thinking you take care of them. You just actually have to take care of them. It's not like a trick to like, oh, trick them with customer. Like I've had a dedicated customer support guy since day one that is responding within the hour and taking care of people and then exceed their expectations. And if there are issues that arise and there always will be, be as transparent as you can. Do your best to fix it. And with this campaign, like what, one of the things you had talked about uh, just before we went on air, which I wanted you to dive into just really quickly, if you don't mind, is the shipping right? Because the expectations of shipping on something like this uh, can make or break a campaign, right? If you if you get it wrong. So what I found interesting uh, when we're talking off air is you were talking to me about figuring out kind of the shipping cube to the individual backer and then making sure that the table is engineered to fit that versus kind of doing the reverse, figuring out the shipping afterwards. Can you talk a little bit about that to our audience? Yeah, let's let's get into the nitty gritty here. If you are backing a project on Kickstarter, just as a general rule of thumb, you can take their measurements and know if you're going to get burned. I have priced this out with 15 different brokers, personally with UPS, FedEx, USPS. There is a magic number. And I love talking about this because it uses the word girth. And I love that word. But there is a UPS and FedEx have the same magic number, and that magic number is 130. And so to calculate, the, to calculate this number, you take the length of the product in its box, and you add the girth. The girth is if you took a rope and went all the way around it. So it's two times the width plus two times the height. So that number, length plus girth, has to be under 130 or you are now an oversized package. An oversized with UPS and FedEx gets hit with a $100 shipping and handling fee, a handling fee, and up to $50 peak surcharge handling fee as an oversized. Yikes, per package. Per package. And that's just because they don't want it in their truck. Yeah. So our table in its exact dimensions our, our number is 127 with extra room for padding to protect the package in shipping. So we are just like right there. And we had a lot of people, you know, this was, this was one thing, one update we did today. The table size was three feet by six feet. And this was just complete oversight on my part. I mostly play Dungeons and Dragons. 
So I don't have a minimum table size that I need, but there's a lot of people out there that play games that have a minimum table size. Yeah. And we were just total comments just flooding in of people saying, you know, you need at least three feet wide for star Wars, X-Wing gloomhaven, all these games that need that space just to fit the map. And I was like, yeah, our play area is not three feet wide because we have our rails attached to the top of the table, so it won't fit. And if we were to just push it out one and a half inches on every end, we're at, our, our number goes up to 136, our length plus girth. And so that is just like, no way. Like our backers mm-hmm. would be hit with this extra 150 charge. They were dead in the water at that point. So how do we navigate this of like a three foot wide minimum without going over that number? And we did an update today and we're just like, look, I know for this past 18 days or 10 days or whatever, we've shown you this table size, we're changing it. And here's why. But if we take three inches off of the end and add it to the side, our magic number doesn't change because it's, it's not changing mass, but our playable area actually goes up because you're getting more square. Yeah. And so it was just this perfect, perfect solution. And our, our community was just incredible. But that said, it required, we pulled our community twice. We asked everybody if they thought that was okay. We looked at the numbers. We had, you know, 15% of like 2000 people said no. So we had to weigh that internally. We had to verify with the factory. And then I did a huge update today explaining length plus girth. Here's why we did this. Here's the benefits. Here's the pros and cons. I'm going to make this executive decision and go with it. I hope everybody's cool. And just awesome positivity. And I think that uh, it could have very easily been fumbled if we just changed the size without telling anybody or changed the size without explaining our reasoning. And uh, yeah, just that, that level of transparency, I think is, is key. What, uh, what, what comes next for you? Like, I know that you're constantly working, you know, five years out on your projects. Is there anything you can give us a sneak peek into on kind of where you're headed from here after, after Gamefold? Yeah. So what comes next for us is we are, we're going to try to get Yarrow Studios to a place where our supply chain is so much more dialed in. And with every campaign, we've been able to clean up these loose ends and dial in the supply chain more. The campaign before um, Flip Die took longer to fulfill than Flip Die. I think that the tables are going to take even less time than Flip Die. So with each campaign, we're iterating. 2024 for us is hopefully going to be the year where we don't have to fully rely on pre-orders mm. um, and and Kickstarter in, in, in general for existing products that people like. So 2024, we'll, we'll hopefully see uh, some new sets of flip die. We're working on a pirate set internally that is a full seven die set that is pirate themed. It comes in a smaller treasure chest. Um, and then on top of that, we're working on some just freaking weird um, um, dice ideas. And I think the consistency of what we raise will probably go down as we launch these really weird projects. But I hope that everybody just, you know, likes and wants to get weird and and we'll just see what kind of sticks. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, shipping more product from inventory, um, innovating on the tables. How can we make them better? How can we make accessories that make them better and, and not relying on pre-orders and pushing stuff, you know, six, eight months out where we can just say, look, we've, we've added these sweet accessories and then even more communication, you know, yeah, um, just to make sure that we're making stuff that everybody wants. And I, I even have some ideas for, you know, outs right, right now we're an accessories company. So we make accessories for other people's games and ideas but I, I think it'd be fun to get into that world a little bit and, and play with some of our own game ideas because we definitely have them. Oh, that's cool. But yeah, just grow healthily, steadily, not not raise money outside of crowdfunding and 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 you know, pay everybody on time and, and keep everything going out the door and, and please as many people as we can. So one of the things I certainly appreciate about uh, Yarrow Studios is the innovation you bring to the industry. I think it's just it's just awesome. Um, for people that want to check out uh, Gamefold, I am going to put a link in the show notes. I encourage you to check out the page. Uh, again, I, I use you countless numbers of times uh, talking to people about their campaign pages where you know you don't have to do a crazy, fancy CGI video, although you have CGI of your, your table folding out. The bulk of your videos, you you talk to camera and talk about the product and 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 physically showing the product. And I think that uh, there's something there that people can probably learn from. So, Tanner, I want to wish you all the best of this campaign. I can't wait to see how it ends, and uh, look forward to see what you bring next year, my friend. James, always a pleasure. We'll talk soon. Cheers. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.